Before we get to our show, here is a podcast we think you're going to love. Are you afraid to watch Criminal Minds alone? If so, you may need to listen to The Unknown Subject, a Criminal Minds podcast. Join Kelly and Kelsey to relive all of the creepy, murdery intrigue as we watch every episode and provide live commentary on everything from Spencer Reed's fashion to Emily Prentice's badassery to the weird unsubs. Plus, we're reviewing every episode, sharing fun facts about the show, and ranking everything from our favorite episodes of each season to our favorite BAU team members and most unforgettable guest stars. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. We're watching a new episode of Criminal Minds every week, so don't miss it. Wheels Wheels up! up. Hello, friends and enemies. It's time for Perhaps It's You, your favorite Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Samantha. And I think your sound sounds pretty good, Samantha. (laughs) Okay. I hope it stays that way. I hate remote recording more than just about anything in the world. Uh, And yet we we do it for you, five listeners. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, So if you listened to our last week's episode, you know that my audio was terrible, despite the fact that I folded myself in half like a pretzel and squeezed into a... (laughs) That's what you do when you're a podcaster. If you want good audio, apparently, is you go in a closet. Well, it didn't solve my problem. I think I am having a microphone issue. So today I'm using a different microphone that's not really meant for this, I don't think. Um, so it probably sounds bad in a different way, I'm guessing. But we won't know until <laughs> we're done recording. So, And it's not like I have another option anyway. Because it's not like I have a, a cache of microphones to pull from. <laughs> so I hope that... Um, Look, we're trying. We're yeah. trying. We're look. We're we're doing our best. <laughs> it's the best we can do. And if it's not good enough, oh well. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Honestly, you know, the fact that we're even recording anything, I feel like, is, you know, that's something by itself. Oh, so, the world. The world is ending, and here we are talking about unsolved mysteries. Yeah. So, yeah. You're welcome. Is it the most insignificant thing in the world? Probably, but we're doing. Yeah, pretty much. But. <laughs> I mean, I would say that you have to, like, cling to every little bit of joy that you can find, but so far, this has just been annoying, so. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, No, in general, we like doing it. It's just, man, yeah, remote recording has its own issues. I know people do this all the time. I do not understand why, and I never will. Uh, But we're here because, you know, one day like five years we're gonna be able to sit in the same room together someday we'll be back hopefully maybe we'll have to be in like weird space suits but oh the audio quality will be great then. well they'll have built-in microphones oh. probably because everyone by that point by the point the pandemic is so bad you have to wear a spacesuit at all times everyone's gonna be a podcaster so it'll just have a built-in microphone Good. in your protection suit you're right it's probably true obviously i have complete faith in the free market and the free market is going to come up with a solution to this problem so oh my god i can't even say that just like hurts i feel like physically ill now every so often just to get a rise out of me mac will be like well you know white men are the only people you can discriminate against and even though i know he's joking it's still like it still works every time you're just uh, hearing that, that just just no. hearing the phrase out loud makes one of my eyes twitch just like Ugh. and then he just like laughs and runs away basically <laughs> he's like a little a little trickster elf just coming to troll me and then running off when it works every single time that is really you know you get that in a marriage where it is constantly (laughs) yeah i mean it's been it's been a long road so i recently discovered that travis hates the phrase do me a solid i have (laughs) but now every time i need him to do something i ask him to do me a solid (laughs) (laughs) well you have to i mean (laughs) 
He should never have let that information <laughs> you do me a solid and take the garbage out. It's so random, too. Very random. <laughs> I have to say, if I think about it, I don't like that phrase a lot either. Not to the point I really I it. about it until now. I mean, it's not my favorite phrase. It, it never really would have been on my radar if randomly he hadn't said that he didn't like it. The the word that I feel like makes me cringe the most is hubby. Oh my god. Someone, if someone's like, oh, me and my hubby, I'm just like, ugh. Like, I think I can't. I have a terror. I have, like, no poker face at all. It's very easy to see. <laughs> Unless I'm in, like, a true customer service zone. Like, you're you're gonna know what I'm thinking. Uh, and I feel like if someone was like, yeah, it's just gonna be me and the hubby, then I'm just gonna be going, like, ugh. Just immediate vomit. Just- yeah, just, like, gr- oh, gross. Like, I just ate something, like, that was a little bit spoiled. Ugh. <laughs> No thanks. Don't tell me about what you and your hubby are up to. That's disgusting. <laughs> do you have a, do you have a like word or phrase like that? That's the one that comes to mind for me. Well, I also I share your disdain for hubby. I feel like if if I start saying if I start referring to Travis as my hubby, I'm gonna just be also putting live laugh loves <laughs> wall. So yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not sure that I have a phrase. It's unusual. Like, everyone hates the word moist, right? Like, that's obvious. I don't, actually, I don't care about... That's fine with me. I hate hubby way more. No, I don't care about moist. That's fine. But hubby. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. I, I'm right there with you on that one. It's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I suppose... You, I'm, I'm a sh- <laughs> Do you feel the same? Oh. Yes, yes. I was I was like, there is another one that goes with that, and it's wifey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yep. gross. I think there's something, like, both so possessive and infantilizing about both of those words that it's just, right. like, it's just, ugh. It's like, you can just go, like, well, this conversation's done, and I never need to speak to you again. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know why. I'm... I'm not even really that big of a fan of like referring to Travis as my husband. I, I tend to go towards spouse and I'm yeah. not even sure. Like, I don't it's, know. It seems kind of possessive or something. Yeah, I'm not, sure. I'm not really a big fan of like referring and I'll do it just because it like, it's a natural. It sense. <laughs> but yeah. I don't even really like referring to him that way. Like I'd rather call him by his name or like if I have to, I'll say like my spouse or something. But definitely hubby is worse. <laughs> I just reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where Elaine's at that party and this woman keeps going, my fiancé, my fiancé. Like, it's like weirdly braggy in some way. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's, wow, that was quite a tangent, but I like it. <laughs> so let's do the audience a solid. And- <laughs> Get to the mystery. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have any updates, do you? I don't think so. Look, we're alive. That's the update. There's we're not much. To, I mean, yeah, there's really not that much to update on. We're, we're, still, we're still doing it. We're still in Minnesota. It's snowy. We haven't. See, now that we're remote, we don't talk about the weather nearly as much. People aren't getting the true Minnesota experience. That's true, because I don't have to drive in it to get to your house. I don't really have to drive in yeah. it at all anymore. So it's you nice. Know what? It's. It's been it's been fine. It's just winter. It's really it's just I have winter. really no complaints. Yeah, it's been fine I, so far. Yeah, and I, since I'm working from home now, I can't even when it does snow. It's not. It's fine because You're I don't like, have to drive in it. I just I just yeah. watch it out the window. So one of the benefits of working from home being never going anywhere. Yeah. All right, we are on season six, episode five. If you are following along at home, you can watch this on YouTube. You can watch this on Amazon with ads for some reason if you wanted to do that. <laughs> this but episode, it's... I felt so long. And I realized yeah. it's because there's no updates. There's no, like, update segment in this. There's four mysteries, and they take up the whole time. I felt like this episode was, like, two hours long. But it's just a normal length episode, just without an unnecessary update. There's no filler. Update. Yeah. It's all killer, no filler. Exactly. This is they, they all should be unsolved yes. mysteries. But sometimes you're like, hey, remember that mystery we talked about, like, seasons ago? Well, here it is again. <laughs> and then you go, fuck you. Then I have to fast um, forward, and then it feels like the episode is, like, 30 minutes long. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is quality. Okay, so we're starting off with a fraud. And I'm going to say that when I saw the still frame for this episode featuring a Hasidic Jewish man, I went, I don't trust Unsolved Mysteries to tell this story. Mm-hmm. We previously had a, a story that took place at a school and um, it was not handled very well. Uh, but this, I, it's probably not great, but uh, it was fine. It was not the nightmare that I expected to be entering, where I literally stopped it and then texted Samantha and then just decided, you know what I should really do right now is some online shopping. <laughs> because I don't want to watch this because I feel like it's just going to be, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just so much cringe, so much like poorly uh, aged um, bigotry, you know, like mm-hmm. I wasn't sure quite where we were getting into, but it's not nearly as bad as I expected. So that's it's like the opposite of a content warning. The the bar tends uh. to be low, but I would agree. I was so relieved when he told me this was your segment. I'm like, oh, OK, I don't know. <laughs> You're like, great. I don't want to enter that quagmire. Well, OK. This is a fraud. This is about con artist Joseph Perskanowski, who stole up to $200 million from banking institutions around the world. Robert Stack calls him a study in paradox, which, okay, because he is also a Hasidic Jew. So his life seemed to be about half praying and half committing fraud. Sure. All right. Um... They, Unsolved Mysteries claims that he uses the community's respectable reputation to serve as the perfect cover. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. We, we can get more into that. Okay. Um, we start off with a, I don't even know who this person is. Who is this English guy that's like telling us about? He's a reporter. I have no oh. idea why. He, maybe he wrote an article about it or something. I don't know who what credentials he has to talk about this but he talks about the hasidic jewish community like he's some sort of expert but his title card is just reporter i was like guy um you're not a hasidic jew no Uh, you cut your hair i'm not sure why we're listening to you on this topic but his mustache is somehow so english Mm -hmm. and i can't it's like super flat does that make any sense? The cut, I, mean, it does. I saw it, so it does kind of make sense. The cut and the like lack of density to this mustache. <laughs> where it's just like a silver, I don't know. Did you name thin, it? Yes. Because it's so incredibly English, I called it the Argy Bargy. <laughs> Which this guy doesn't really seem like he's getting in a lot of fights, but I, I don't. I It's just. With a mustache like that, though. Yeah, I, I don't know. Get a few pints in him. Maybe he's ready to throw down. Um, okay, so for some reason, this reporter is telling us about Joseph. So him and his wife had a whopping 12 children, and they lived in a Hasidic community in Montreal. He supposedly ran an import-export business from the basement of his home, but really he was committing these um, banking schemes. So here's an example of a scheme uh, this seemed like maybe one of his first schemes. I'm not quite really sure from 1985. So this is what he would do. He would open his own bank. And in this example, he opened one on the island of. Oh, my God. Why, why don't I know how to pronounce anything? Did I go to school? Did I learn anything? And Angola? Angela? I, a Caribbean I. No, because it's a Caribbean island with lax banking laws. Okay. Anyway, that's where he opened his bank. He, You need the names of two principals to open a bank, but, uh, you know, it was the 80s, so he just made those up. <laughs> those weren't real people. And uh, for the founding of the bank, you, he, you need, you know, those fake people to sign something, but he just had stamps made of their signatures. <laughs> this poor guy. What was the name of the guy who helped Oh, my him? God. Um, Alan Fingold. He was apparently just starting out in his career. He was very naive. I I understand, but at the same time, he was like, "Is it legal to use stamps for this type of document?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. Don't worry about it." It's fine. Joseph was just like, "They're busy men. They can't come here and sign something. They're only <laughs> starting their own bank." Um, you know, he hired this guy when he was twenty-one, and like all of his professional experience, he had learned from a con man. So. <laughs> He didn't know any better. 
fortunately, he doesn't like go to prison or anything. It is, it is kind of rude to have an, an unwitting accomplice in these frauds, I feel like. That's actually my biggest complaint with this crime. Yeah. It was not fair to Alan. He should have found someone that wanted to do this as well. Because he could have very easily left Alan in the lurch, going to prison for a very long time, when he literally had no idea what was going on. Okay. He's just in there stamping his forms. This yeah. is fine. He's just, like, filing paperwork and, you know, thinking he's running this legit business, and little does he know. Okay, so the reason to open his own bank was that then he could issue banks cashier checks, which are taken much more seriously than personal checks, and then he would go to various banks and get cash advances based on the fraudulent checks. Smart! So smart! Okay, so he's a, the, this starts crashing down. He's eventually sued by a Japanese bank for $1 million. Whoops. Um, and then he is pursued by the canadian mounties there's a reenactment of of him going to a bank and the bank being like well it's not really our policy to cash the to make an advance on this because you haven't had an account here for two weeks but apparently he was very persuasive and i don't know he could get people to like do things that the bank wouldn't normally do but also because you know he was working for this other bank it was seen as like a professional interaction instead of just like some guy yeah um, but yeah, so this is happening in Canada, and they're eventually pursued by the Mounties. We hear from Alan Fingold, his unwitting accomplice, who was cleared of any wrongdoing and labeled as simply being naive. Which <laughs> I feel feel kind of bad for him. So they they there's a reenactment of them raiding Joseph's home, but they didn't find anything. Joseph had already fled with his wife and ten of his children. His two oldest children would join them later. Um, so they're like in the house saying to one of his sons, like, do you know what your dad's business is? And the guy's like, I don't know, business, which I feel like is exactly how I felt as a child. <laughs> what does your dad do? I don't know, business. Um, so after that, Joseph Upernowski isn't seen again, but somehow a Joseph Weiss starts operating very similar cr- crimes. Mm. And s- we see, <laughs> we get a very cheesy graphic of a map of the globe. And we see that between 1990 and 1992, from various banking institutions, Joseph was able to fraud this amount of money. So in Sweden, from various banks, 19 million. Denmark, 39 million. The Netherlands, 32 million. England, 37 million. That's quite impressive. It's so impressive. The US, 30 million. Australia, 35 million. So it was at least. 190 million in fraud that they're like aware of right and part of the reason that he was getting away from it for a while is this guy had the balls to often negotiate with banks on his own behalf (laughs) so the banks actually like don't want to get bogged down in a you know trial and a whole legal proceeding so he would like i don't know if he would call them himself he'd be like look i know i got an advance for two million that's gone. You're not going to see that. But I can give you back $1 million if you drop the charges. And most of the time they would do it. Like this reporter guy, yes. he would rather just get as much money back as possible versus going through the hassle and probably spending a lot of money as well. Um, well, if he goes to prison, like they don't get any money, right? Yeah. Like probably he'll just be in prison that doesn't help them so it's like all right well it's better to cut our losses and get a million back and just be out one million instead of being out two million but the like reenactment of him on the phone just like so casually being like so this is what i can do for you friend (laughs) amazing it does take a lot of balls amazing to me um but this did not seem to work so well in the u.s and canada where there were warrants out for his arrest this is where it gets very interesting to me so what is he doing with all this money? $190 million in, in 80s money. Not even like $190 million now. This is so much money. But there is no evidence that he's spending it on himself. So the th- like, if the raid on his house that they show in the reenactment is at all accurate, like he's just, you know, living a 
a simple life. I mean, he's got 12 children, and that probably takes some cash, but it's not like he's making extravagant purchases. Right. Um, so the authorities believe that he was giving it to Jewish charities and also using it to benefit Hasidic communities by opening legitimate businesses with the money and then handing them over to the community once they became successful. Yeah, I think Robert Stack calls them like a Robin Hood character. It's kind of hard to fault. Yeah. I would like to know a little bit more about his motivations and I don't I don't know. It's kind of cool. Okay, so that's where it ends. Yeah, they're like he sees himself as a Robin Hood figure, but really he's a very bad dude and I was like from taking money from banks, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem that bad to me, but yeah, I feel bad for Alan. I, maybe some other people got thrown under the bus in this process, but it seems kind of cool. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the update is, after more than 10 years on the run, Joseph Perskanowski was arrested in Israel. He was convicted of only seven fraud charges in a court in Jerusalem where he served seven years. Uh, he's still wanted by the FBI. However, the statute of limitations has run out on him in Canada. So I guess you could go to Canada and be okay. <laughs> he couldn't come back here. Apparently we would still arrest him, but I'm guessing he's not going to do that. Um, it doesn't seem like that money was ever recovered and it just, I guess, stayed in those communities. It's a very interesting story, actually. I think so. I was way better than what I was expecting. <laughs> not trusting uh they're just not trusting on some mysteries to handle i don't know really anything well respectfully start out with the bar pretty low the, your, if your expectations yeah, yeah, yeah. are low you can allow unsolved mysteries to exceed <laughs> i think it's generally a good way to handle it especially in yeah. situations like this couldn't agree more all right are we ready for a kind of horrific missing persons case this is brutal. This is a good mystery, but a sad story, which is, I mean, that kind of sums up a lot of unsolved mysteries, but it's like a thrilling kind of case. It's just so sad. I couldn't agree more. Um, there's also a lot of names in here, so I'm going to do my best to keep everyone straight. Um so this is a missing persons case, and we're actually looking for three people at the time that the this segment aired. Wendy, Cynthia, and Lisa. Cynthia Brito, Lisa Renee Craigier, Craig Craig sure. and uh, Wendy Brito. Um, so they are missing, and we are trying to find them. So here's the case details. So this case is even more chilling, I think, by who appears in the segment. We'll get to that. In the spring of 1987, Wendy Brito of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, was a divorced mother with a young daughter when she fell in love with a co-worker named Chad No. They worked at a ice cream parlor together. The reenactment is kind of cute. Um, they started going out. Um, Chad appears in the episode. Um, her mother says that they hit, off, hit it off fairly quickly and started a relationship, um, which is about the time that she got pregnant with her second child. Um, at this point, they got married um, and were married for about three or four weeks before Jonathan, her second child, was born. Unfortunately, just one month after Jonathan's birth, Wendy developed what they call in the episode a crippling case of multiple sclerosis and was hospitalized for nearly a year. I found another article that said that she was actually she fell into a coma. Um, so she previously had like an undiagnosed case of case of MS. And it's, oh. it's but anyway, she fell into a coma and she was hospitalized for nearly a year. And she was diagnosed at that point with multiple sclerosis. Wow. And then Chad, who uh, is has a mustache but is a dirtbag, tells us that he didn't think he'd be able to raise two children on his own, so he filed for divorce while she was still, uh, I'm not sure if she was still in the coma or not, but she was unable, because she was hospitalized, to fight in court for custody of Jonathan. So he filed for divorce and was awarded custody of their son. What a dick move. Yeah. He, he does not come off well in this segment at all. This is his quote. Of course, along with the MS, I didn't think that she would be able to help me raise my child. And instead of having two people or two children to deal with, I decided that it was best if we got a divorce and I raised my child on my own. Wow. So he couldn't be bothered to deal with her and, quote, in his words, deal with her and her other child. This um, is his wife! 
<laughs> I can't be bothered to deal with her. That's she's basically a- how he's what he says. Yes. What a coma. Never mind. Moving on. Yeah, maybe don't get married then. I don't know. So frustrating. So Wendy, okay, did people used to go into comas more often? I maybe. Because there's someone else in this episode that was in a coma. And it just seems like in the 80s, you might have been in a coma for a while. I don't understand. I don't know. It's, you're right. It is. It does seem to come up a lot in Unsolved Mysteries, oddly. To my knowledge, I don't know anyone who was in a coma. But it's yeah, starting to seem like that's statistically unlikely. Same. So, like I said, Wendy was too sick to fight the divorce or the custody decision. For two years, she went through physical therapy to regain the ability to do simple tasks like eating and walking. Um, But at that point, her life did start to take a positive turn, at least for a while. During this time, friends introduced her to a man named Leon Camp. They fell in love and were married, and Wendy's first child, Cynthia, lived with them. Slowly, Wendy's condition improved. Um... What, but are we not, we're not going to talk about Leon's mustache. <laughs> well, we probably do, because I'm assuming you gave it a name. It's so big. It's very large. It is, like, shockingly large. <laughs> it's it's comical. It's, <laughs> it's like a... Like, if you are a child, and you're at a bus stop, and there's a poster, and you go, I'm going to draw a mustache on that man. This is <laughs> This might be the mustache that you draw on. <laughs> It's true. It looks almost fake. I called it the make it stop. I hate it. (laughs) But this guy, I think, is a dirtbag, so he's not going to win. It's probably going to the Archie Barchi. I think almost everyone, other than the people that are missing in this episode, are... I don't don't think he's eligible. Dirtbags all around. So... uh, Wendy's condition improved, and she married this Leon Camp... uh, her daughter Cynthia lived with them, like I said, and so she start. And at this point, she started having visitations with Jonathan. Remember that Chad, at this point, still has full custody of Jonathan. He starts letting them have visitations, but then after a while, according to Wendy's mother, Chad began to quote sabotage the visits. Um, she said that they would call, make an appointment with them, set up a time for Wendy to see him, and then when they got when she got there they just wouldn't be home and then chad starts to make these allegations that jonathan was being sexually molested at wendy and leon's house i don't know if this was ever substantiated according to the unsolved mysteries wiki there was an investigation done and the investigation concluded that there wasn't molestation going on um but they obviously don't go into detail in the episode so yeah. i have no idea what the situation was but those allegations were out there and at that point they stopped allowing jonathan to see wendy at all they cut off the visits completely um it's so there's a really messy custody situation yeah it's really terrible so regardless it's it's a bad bad situation it's, it's not going well and these people aren't getting along and so at this point wendy is not allowed to see jonathan at all until um Eventually, the court ordered that Wendy and Leon's visits resume, and they cited, they actually cited Chad in contempt, because apparently there were court-ordered visits. And so the court stepped in and said, Mm, you have to start having these visits again. So for more than six months, though, Chad refused to allow Jonathan to visit. And then on May 29th, 1992, he had a sudden change of heart, supposedly, He called the house and offered Wendy to have his mother, Beverly, pick up Wendy and drive them to their house so that she could see Jonathan. And in the reenactment, she's so excited um, Mm. because she she basically says over and over again, he's going to let me see Jonathan. He's going to let me see Jonathan, which is very heartbreaking. Um, So but uh, Wendy can't drive because of her MS. So his uh, Chad's mom, Beverly, is going to go pick her up, supposedly, and bring her to his house. by the time that Beverly arrived, Leon had convinced his sister, Renee, uh, this is Lisa Renee Krager, to go with Wendy and Cynthia because he didn't trust Chad. Uh, so he's obviously in the mis- in the segment. And he says that he kissed her goodbye um, and they got into the car and left and they waved. And that was the last time he saw them. 
So it was a long drive to Chad's home in Shamrock, Oklahoma. It was 115 miles and it took over two hours. When the group arrived, Wendy called Leon um, and said that uh, she had made it there all right. um, And that, you know, so they did get to the house. Um, Chad in the in the episode says that like she didn't want to see Jonathan at all when she got there, that she mostly sat on the step and drank coffee, um, which seems weird because it seems like she was super excited to see Jonathan and hadn't yeah, seen him in a yeah. while. So he claimed yeah, right. he got there and wouldn't even interact. Yeah, right. I don't believe that for a second. No. So when it was time for Wendy to say goodbye to Jonathan, her, Cynthia, and Lisa climbed back into Beverly's car. Chad's grandmother, Ida, uh, joined them for the ride back. I have no idea why. But Ida is also interviewed for the show and says that they basically fought the entire way back um, about all kinds of things. She said that she was poor company. Um, She said she was unpleasant from the beginning. (laughs) I'm not sure it's like the burn you think it is she was unpleasant company (laughs) therefore i don't care that she's missing yeah it doesn't i does not come off looking great in this segment either i mean we are looking for these people who are missing and you were the last person to see them and you're basically saying she was unpleasant to be around Look, she might be gone, and it's a blessing, because her company, not the best. All three of these women, Wendy, Cynthia, and Lisa, are missing at this point. Beverly and Ida, not missing. So, yeah, anyway, you know where we're going with this. So, um, Ida says that Chad's, uh, Chad's mother later reported that the bickering continued for, like, a half hour into the drive, um, she said by the time she they got to Chandler, Oklahoma, she had to she had all about all that she could stand. So they pulled off into a Walmart parking lot and told the three women to get out. Beverly told wow. police, "Yeah, wow, she, they're they're the bad company, not you kicking people out in random parking lots." Yeah. It, so this was forty five miles from Wendy's home when. Uh, Beverly ordered Wendy, Cynthia, and Lisa to get out of the car, and they returned home without them. Uh, They never called. Uh, They never asked anyone for help. It was as though they had dropped off of the face of the earth, according to Jackie Johnson with the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. Yeah, super realistic story. There was an aerial, yeah, there was an aerial search. There were four or five airplanes. Um, They didn't find any trace of these three women. Um, Jackie Taylor, who is Wendy's mother, says that she was very dependent upon Leon. Um, She had already called him twice. Uh, There's no way that she would have just left. Um, All three of these women just completely disappeared. What is Um, the idea? That they just, like, wandered off on foot and got eaten by bears? No idea. It seems... Obvious. So Beverly, obviously Beverly, Ida, and Chad are the main suspects. Ida denies the accusations in the episode. She says, Beverly and I did not have anything to do with their disappearances, and I know this. I don't care whether they know it or not or believe it, but I know it. Chad says there's no way that I or my grandma or my mother could have killed them or shipped them off somewhere. Ships them off somewhere? That's yeah. a weird thing to say. Yes. Uh, so There's no way that we tied them up put them in bags, put them in the back of a shipping container, sealed that, like, hmm. <laughs> So in spite of these denials, two residents of Shamrock, Oklahoma, have told authorities that they overheard Chad boasting that he killed Wendy, Cynthia, and Lisa, and that no one would ever find their bodies. And in Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> Chad says this, maybe in one of my drunken stupors, I might have popped off. Oh yeah, I did it. But there ain't no way I could have done something like that. I'm not a violent person. Uh-huh. Very believable. So I know that happens up? to me a lot. I know that happens to me a lot that I, you know, I have a couple glasses of wine and then I'm like, you You're know talking about how you sh- killed three people. I'm like, you know who shot JFK? It was me, bitch. It was all me. I just start taking credit for murders I didn't commit. That's what happens when you get a couple drinks in me. Who does that? Who does yeah. that? Well, so it should come to a surprise as a surprise to no one that these people did it. Um, 
because this is solved. Ida and Beverly were arrested and charged with arson in 2007. Uh, they served time in prison. In September of 2011, Ida died of cancer at the age of 82. Um, so she was never officially charged in this case. Uh, however, on, Ida. on April 16th, 2013, the remains of Wendy, Cynthia, and Lisa were found buried eight feet down in an unmarked grave in Pawnee County, Oklahoma. A Ruger revolver and a knife were also located next to the remains. DNA collected from Wendy's sister Kimberly confirmed the identities of Wendy and Cynthia. DNA evidence also confirmed the identity of Lisa. A coroner declared that they were victims of homicide. Wendy died of a gunshot and sharp force injuries. Cynthia Cynthia died from, quote, homicidal violence of unspecified means, and Lisa died from gunshot wounds to the torso. Cynthia's remains still had duct tape attached to them. Uh. Rover Pruitt, who is Ida's son and Beverly's brother, was arrested on half a million dollar was arrested on half a million dollar bail that was reduced to fifty thousand. He allegedly led police to the remains, which were buried in a hole under a septic tank on property owned by the Pruitts. Around the time of the disappearances, Ida told him to dig a hole. She later told him to fill the hole in because, quote, there's bodies in there. Grover was charged with accessory to first-degree murder. He pled not guilty, and a judge later dismissed the case. He died on January 25th, 2017. Prior to his death, Grover made statements that Ida and Beverly had murdered Wendy, Cynthia, and Lisa. On March 28th, 2014, Beverly was arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder in association with this case. On January 20th, 2015, she pled no contest to helping in carrying out murders, the murders. As a part of her plea bargain, she was sentenced to 15 years in prison and 15 years probation, and she was released from prison on January 7th, 2020. Oh my god. So it seems unlikely to me that Chad didn't know what was going on, but he was never charged in, re- in regards to this case. It was only Beverly. Ida was dead at that point, so really the, pe- the only people that actually paid a price for this were Grover, uh, the brother, and Beverly. Um, so, yeah. This is a, a sad it's really like, twisting. Sad. I, the whole thing is really just awful. Um, and for what? Nothing. Just because they, they didn't like them? It seems like it. Wow. Yeah. To yeah. bury someone under a septic tank. For some reason, that seems real low to me. Yeah, it does. It does. Okay, well. Yeah, and, and you see them on the Unsolved Mysteries, and then you go, oh. That's the part that is the most chilling to me, I think, is that Ida definitely had something to do with it, and she's in the episode. Um, I can't remember if Beverly was in the episode. I think she was. And then Chad was, too. And he has to, if he wasn't involved, he had to have at least known what happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, because otherwise, wouldn't he be looking for them? You would think, <laughs> right? Wouldn't he like be curious where they were if he didn't know? I mean, he claims to not know in the episode, but of course he's going to say that. So right. yeah, it's it's chilling to have them on the episode. Ugh. Okay, so we do get a bit of a palate cleanser after that with a lost love. Mm, yes. This is the story of, at the time, 45-year-old Dolores Brooks from Brooklyn, who was looking for a teacher she had as a teenager. Uh, at the time, she had moved to Brooklyn from a small town in North Carolina, and it was a big culture shock for her. She was kind of overwhelmed by New York and, you know, just going through an awkward teenage phase in general. She was explaining that where she was from in North Carolina, people would come from miles around to see a three-story building. <laughs> And suddenly she was living in New York. So it was a big adjustment. So she started her first semester at Decatur Junior High in Bed-Stuy. And she was shocked, shocked by her classmates' rowdy behavior. Uh, Which seems to be just throwing paper around. Yeah, Um, it really was not that rowdy. I, I don't know. But um, there was also a new music teacher at this time, Madeline Strauss, who was also something of an outsider. Her class uh, apparently really opened Dolores's eyes to the beauty of music, and she eventually became a friend with Madeline and would frequently visit her apartment that she shared with her father, which honestly I think is kind of weird, but whatever. And at least in the reenactment, Madeline is living in, like, splendor. Oh, she has yeah. this, like, super swanky apartment that's, like, in a high-rise overlooking Central Park. She seems to be, like, living with, like, all these fine antiques and stuff. 
I don't know. I'm not quite sure why she was teaching, but anyway. Um, so over the next couple of years, Madeline took Dolores to chamber music concerts and other musical events, like high society kind of stuff, and would often lend her appropriate clothing to wear. The fashion in the segment. Yeah, I, I'm not good. sure how accurate it is, but the person they picked to play Madeline is this like model. Yeah. You know, remember how you had a completely gorgeous junior high middle school teacher? But I think it was to sort of give her this, like, I don't know if it was, like, accurate, but it gave her this, like, yeah, she's, like, you know, from this other world, very upper class, right? Right. Um, And Dolores explains that this was important. It sort of, like, changed her view of herself because she says once someone cares about you your self-esteem automatically picks up and her home situation at the time was not great yeah so she felt more comfortable with herself because dolores cared about her and saw value in her so dolores went on to graduate from junior high but was later overwhelmed by her bad home life and ended up dropping out of school and running away from home she became a ward of the state in 1966 Dolores fell ill and was in a coma for a while, which is just like something you did. I mean, this was in the 60s. I don't something know. Something you did. Something you did at the time. Um, she did regain consciousness, obviously. She's talking to us in the segment, but she had partial amnesia, a favorite Unsolved Mysteries topic, as a result of her coma. So in 1967, she's stopped on the street by a woman who seems to know her and is very excited to see her, but she doesn't know who she is. And this happened a few more times that she would be in the area and this woman would be like, oh my God, Dolores, it's so great to see you. And Dolores would just be like, yep. Because <laughs> she doesn't understand who this woman is. And the woman was like, Don't you remember me? I was your music teacher. And then, at least in the reenactment, Dolores is like, Well, I hope I was a good student, but I gotta go. That <laughs> <laughs> should be my reaction. Yeah, because she doesn't remember all this other stuff. Right. Um, so she did go on to finish school. She became a nurse and eventually moved to Chicago. So when she's in Chicago at a hospital, she bumps into someone from book Brooklyn who also had gone to her school and was even in her music class. So in talking to this person, it like, you know, wakes up these memories, I guess. And she remembers Madeline and realizes that must have been the person who stopped her on the street. So she just wanted to thank Madeline and sort of apologize for not knowing who she was <laughs> and say that, yes, she did, you know, her efforts weren't wasted. She did make a positive impact on her life. Unfortunately, we don't get an update to this. Which is a bummer. I don't really want to watch that without an update. <laughs> I know. But the thing is, she had so much. She knew her name. She knew where she worked. Like, I have to assume they were able to find her and maybe that just, like, didn't get back to Unsolved Mysteries. That's true. Because it doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't be able to find her at all. It's not like she was went into hiding or something. She was just a teacher. Right. And she was apparently, like, rich and well-connected. So it seems like, I don't know. Madeline, if you're listening, thanks for your good deeds. Yes. Okay. Now we have one last one from Samantha, which is very exciting. <laughs> I mean, there's part, part of the, the reenactment is exciting. I don't oh. know that. murder but the reenactments are very exciting okay yes. i'm sorry i apologize for being so uncouth there <laughs> so this is an unexplained death we are looking for the murderer of su ya kim in 1981 su young kim and su ya were married in seoul south korea soon after they moved to the united states for years they worked in flea markets until they made enough money to open two stores by 1991, they had settled in an apartment in Queens, New York, with their two sons and were successfully running both of their stores. The most 90s apartment you ever saw. I was going to mention the, the apartment. Literally, literally every single object in it off-white. Everything is white. They were, they're not allowed to own a single thing of that's like colorful. Everything that was, was white. That, that was the, if you weren't around at that time, I know Samantha wasn't, that was the height of class. To prove that you could have all this stuff that was immediately going to get dirty. <laughs> so have like an all white or like all off white apartment was like, wow, we're rich now. We made it. Because <laughs> because seriously, in like the 80s, everything was like brown and gray and very drab. You think of it as this very colorful neon time. But the reason that like neon and bright colors were exciting was because everything else was like in a... <laughs> 
a wood paneled room with just a TV on the floor. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating at all. So that so now we're going to like, oh, I don't have any of that crap. I live in a, a totally modern, all white apartment that's gonna look horrible in about two weeks. Yep. yep. Yeah. It was the reenactment apartment is quite something. So unfortunately, this happy life was ruined on June 29th. Suya dropped her two sons off at their grandmother's house and went shopping. When her husband came home at 8 p.m., she had not returned. He called all of her friends, but no one knew where she was. And then, I know this is the part that Liz wants to talk about, he and his brother later found her car parked in their parking garage with the engine stone cold. Liz, do you want to talk about (laughs) the brother? (laughs) So the brother is played by everyone's favorite dreamboat, Daniel Daykem. This is like one of his big breaks. He's super young and he's so beautiful that it's like very handsome. (laughs) It's like almost painful to look at him. Yeah. He doesn't have a big role. He pretty much like he doesn't even speak. He he whispers to his his reenactment brother in the car, but he steals the show for sure. Oh my god, is he so beautiful? Yeah, I can't it, stand it. This is more exciting to me than Matthew McConaughey. I feel like you oh, by agree. far. By <laughs> far. I knew that Matthew McConaughey got a start on Unsolved Mysteries, and I had seen those gifts about how he was not even wearing a shirt even back then. And I was like, ha ha ha. But it's I don't know. It's Matthew McConaughey. He's permanently oily. Like, <laughs> I can't get he seems like he's just very sweaty to me. I can't get too excited about it. But this, this is important. Yeah, yeah, this is important. I quite, this oh. whole episode is worth it just for the, like, 40 oh. seconds that Daniel was on the screen. Oh my yeah. god. Yes. And the brother's not the murderer either, so that helps. Um, yeah, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> So, I mean, I, I would have forgiven him, but that is nice. Yeah, it, it helps. Uh, so the next day, police asked Sue Young to come to the morgue where a young body, young woman's body had been found. He identified the remains of the young woman as Sue Yaz. She had been murdered by nine stab wounds from an uh. unknown assailant. Her remains were coldly dumped in a trash dumpster in Bedford. I think it's <laughs> I think it's in Bed-Stuy, but Robert yeah. Stack says it like Bedford Stuyverson or something. He like says it's what full is name. The word? It is very strange. Okay. I uh, think it's just in Bed-Stuy and Robert <laughs> Stack is being like weirdly formal about it. So although she was nude, there was no evidence of sexual assault. Police determined that she had been the victim of random violence. However, unlike some random crimes, police were able to find a witness. This, despite its seriousness, is really funny. So at around 3 a.m. before her body was found, a private security guard named Joe Jones witnessed an unidentified man early in the morning acting strangely around the garbage can that where her body later was found. He told the man that he was not allowed to dump there, but the man offered him $20, so he agreed to allow him to do it. I mean, yeah, this is the way the world works. If you're a probably underpaid security guard and someone's like, come on, man, I'll give you 20 bucks, you just let me do this. He's like, yeah, all right, that's fine. I mean, I I don't understand inflation, but wouldn't that be like fifty bucks now? Like, probably so more than twenty, certainly. Yeah, so yeah. you're just like, oh yeah, sure, all right, I'll look, I'll look the other way. And he was like super casual about it. Like, <laughs> well, obviously, he offered me twenty bucks, so I was like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, however, as the man handed Joe the money, he noticed that there was blood on his shirt, which he was immediately suspicious of. The man claimed that he had been in a fight but based on the reenactment it seems like he just kind of like clearly made that up off the top of his head he was like um uh yeah i was in a fight actually that's why i have blood all over me okay it's nighttime you're in an alley you're by a dumpster i realize this guy is a security guard but even so so this guy is like handing him money and as he's handing him money he's like isn't that blood on your shirt why are they covered in blood the scenario is getting like sketchier and sketchier by the second, and then, and then he's like, "Uh, yeah, I was in a fight," which is like, 
I don't know. Does that mean you're going to, like, attack me? Like, that's not great either. It had to have been a lot of blood because she was stabbed nine times. And he's clearly uninjured. So if you were in a fight, you're covered in blood. Did you kill the other person? Like, is that why you're here? Like, dumping uh, something in a dumpster? Yeah. Yeah. So the man left, but Joe was still suspicious. He did get the license plate, but I'm not sure if that ever panned out for anything. He and his friend decided that they would look through the garbage, and unfortunately, they immediately saw a woman's hand. He hailed a passing ambulance, but Suya had been dead for several hours. Joe gave a description of the man, his car, and the license plate. Investigators later found a match. It was a car that belonged to a Taiwanese exchange student who attended uh, CW Post College in, in Long Island. The car... Um, was cold and apparently had not been driven for several hours, so it seems like it was probably stolen. There was also no evidence of blood in the car itself. Investigators do not believe that um, that student had anything to do with the case. So police began looking at the security guard as a suspect, but a lie detector test and other evidence made police believe that he had nothing to do with the murder either. The police Thank are now... God. Yeah. That- I mean, okay, the security guard is black. It seems like this is a real, like, wrong place, wrong time situation. I'm I glad that he was. Too. I'm glad he was cleared. If he really didn't have anything to do with it, which it seems like he didn't, I'm glad he was cleared quickly. Because it, it definitely goddamn. crossed my mind watching this episode that he dodged a bullet. Yeah, sure. yeah. You're like, oh fuck, no, because they're like, and then they started to look at him, and I was like, why would he make up all of this shit about this? Like, this story is too weird. It's way too weird, and he's the one that like called the, the ambulance and called the police. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I don't, he also just, like, seemed like a nice guy. That's yeah. evidence, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. He wasn't Chad from our last the last right. he did. He, he came off well as a, right. a helpful guy that also just wanted $20. <laughs> <laughs> um. So the police are now looking for leads uh, in this murder. For nearly two years, um, husband Sue Young Kim stayed in the United States, but the memories of his wife proved too painful to bear. And on, in April of 1993, he shut down his businesses and returned with his two sons to South Korea. His wife's killer's identity is still a mystery. So unfortunately, this so is unsolved. The, the husband is like, he had to close the store and move because he had everything reminded him of his wife. I know. It's so sad. And they had such, like, their businesses were doing well. They were, like, living the American dream. Yeah. It doesn't seem to actually exist. So it's so horrible that she was just randomly murdered. And, yeah, it's terrible. And, unfortunately, there's it's not solved, but there is some inf- interesting oh, information. Okay. okay. So... Uh, in the years since the segment aired, viewers have made note of the similarity in appearance between the composite drawing of Suya's killer and that of infamous New York City serial killer Joel Rifkin. Joel was oh, active around. Shit. He was active around the same time that Suya was killed, and at least one of his known victims was another Korean woman named Yun Lee. Oh was around God. the same age as Suya. However, he has never been charged in this case, and some people have noted that Rifkin's chosen victims were typically sex workers, which did not fit Suya's profile. Um, so Maybe it is she still, was like a, a convenient target in some way. Serial killers do stray from their MOs. Like that happens. So unfortunately, there's no actual evidence tying him to the case that I'm that is noted anywhere, and probably this is never going to be solved, unfortunately, but it is interesting. I mean, it's such a random, I think Robert Stack called it, like, another senseless act of random violence. And you're like, okay, Stack, like, that's actually pretty rare that you would just go out living your normal day-to-day life and they get stabbed nine times. That's not that common, Stack. But, um. But that is what happened here. Yes. So you kind of have to wonder, like, what person did she come across where this would this something so senseless right because she had no enemies like no one wanted her dead so who's gonna kill her well maybe a serial killer i mean it kind of tracks i mean uh, yeah i don't know i don't know it's Mm -hmm. it's it's bizarre i'm sorry that i acted like it was so great because really i was just excited but i mean that's the positive so it's a sad case but there is some levity in that you get to see daniel dickham Looking <gasps> real fine. Oh my it. god, so beautiful. Yeah. Did I make like teen beat posters of him? I could just hang up around the <laughs> podcasting room. You might be able to find one. I should look into that. That would be great. 
can motivate us. There you go. Um, hmm, yeah. So that's actually the. I think we've come to the end. We have. We should probably rate it. Okay. What are we gonna do first? Uh, mysteriousness. Okay. Pretty mysterious. We don't know what happened in this last case really at all. Nope. We never find that guy, despite there being a witness, which is kind of remarkable. And the the witness even like could remember specific things about the clothes he was wearing and right. had a this license plate and you know he seems like a good credible witness and it still didn't pan out um we don't really know what happened to this teacher i don't know that that's super mysterious but then your first case for a long time was unsolved too yeah. i think it's really mysterious yeah i would say them's way up for this thumbs one up reenactments I- <laughs> we have to say thumbs up we have to <laughs> i think we do <laughs> Because it was, I didn't know he was going to be in it. It was such a pleasant surprise. And it, uh, I'm just beaming. Yes, thumbs away. They're up. good. They're definitely good. Fashion? Um, not bad, but maybe not great either. It's fine. Yeah, so I'm sideways. Sideways. Like, Pretty good mustaches, but most of them are in dirtbags. So we can't even give it that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm giving the MVM to the RG Bargy, but eh. He could have been a dirtbag <laughs> for all we know. <laughs> yeah, he's just some reporter guy. I don't even know why he was there. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Stack? I feel like he's a pretty solid presence in this episode. I agree. And I'm going to give him some credit for us getting four mysteries that no unnecessary updates. And um, I feel like his intros were good and not weird. Like his one about the desert. And <laughs> <laughs> the weird dirt. Yeah, he doesn't say anything about fancy dirt, so a thumbs up. It's fancy dirt, you're right. Uh, yeah, thumbs up for Robert Stack. This is overall a solid episode. On our it's Robert Stack scale of 0 to 5 Robert Stacks, hmm. I feel it's like higher than a 3. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like in terms of mysteries, it's 3.5, maybe 3. But does Daniel Day Kim bump it up? I, he's gotta. He's gotta. Yeah, so I'm going to go with a 4. I think a 4. Yeah, because I would <laughs> recommend people watch this, even if it's only for Daniel Day Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, a four. Uh, just this, this silent, gorgeous figure in the background of all the reenactments, <laughs> like, at the store. And then at the end, he has to, like, close the store because they're going to move away. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. All right. It's a four. That's a wrap on this episode. Are you going to recommend something? Yes, I am, uh, because I think I've hit a bit of a pandemic wall this week. Oh, Sam- you and me both. Samantha knows, where I was just like, fuck this, fuck everything. I'm so tired. I, I, it's just, to live the lives that we're living right now, you have to compartmentalize so much worry and put that to like the back mm-hmm. of your mind while you just go about your life. And it's kind of draining. Agreed. Anyway, so one of the very few things that brought me any joy this week falls into the candle category. Yes, as it often does. (laughs) So I ordered uh, some candles from a shop on Etsy called Asian Boba Girl, which are bubble tea themed candles. They're beautiful. They really, I, it made me want to drink one. They really do look like bubble tea when you sent me the picture. The, yeah, the drawback is that it might make you want bubble tea, so keep that in mind. But um, they come in these really amazing scents. There's three categories. So there's milk tea candles, there's Asian snack candles, and then there's, like, miscellaneous, which is being called seasonal candles. So for milk tea, you can get, like, classic milk tea, jasmine tea, Thai tea. I got a taro milk tea, and it smells exactly like taro milk tea. Oh, and the- my gosh. The mini ones come in these super cute glass containers that look like little milk things. They're so cute. cute. The bigger sizes come in like a jar or a glass. And honestly, I feel like are less cute. I'm sure they still smell good. And they have like little boba bubbles painted on the outside. The packaging is just like, ah, so good. And so there's other flavors that I haven't tried that sound really good. Like peach gummy, mango mochi ice cream. banana milk i mean wonderful seriously like any of these that's like yes i want my whole house to smell like yeah vietnamese coffee like what this sounds so good to me so i and i'm just i love my my taro little candle it's there's soy candles if that matters to you i don't know this is at um 
Etsy, AsianBobaGirl.com. And I'm very happy with my candle. And it brought me some fleeting joy, which is really all we can ask for in this world. That's it. That's my update. Candles. That's a really good recommendation, actually. I'm pretty sure I'm going to need to buy some. You should. So in stark contrast to my recommendation last week, I'm recommending something that's kind of fun and silly. It's a show that Travis and I have been watching that we're kind of obsessed with. It is the British game show, ostensibly it's a game show, called Taskmaster. Hmm. And uh, we can watch it if you're in the States, like us. You can watch it for free on YouTube. It's on, and it's official. It's like the official Taskmaster YouTube channel. Most of the seasons are on there, and you can watch them completely free. That's how we've been watching. It's, like, I say it's ostensibly a game show because it's a game show in the way that Whose Line Is It Anyway was a game show. Uh, okay. If you watch that show and you remember Drew Carey's opening line, everything's made up and the points don't matter, this is exactly the same. So over the, the series, which there's like eight to ten episodes, sometimes more, I think, in a series, there's five contestants and two hosts. So Greg Davies and the, and his like sidekick named Alex host the show. They're comedians. All of the contestants are comedians. And they compete each episode in a series of tasks that are silly and weird. Some examples of tasks that they've had to do are like, they had to paint a picture of a horse while riding a horse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're like <laughs> completely silly. There's always a group task. So they'll have them in groups and they have to compete like in a, it, it, it's always silly. It's always funny. Um, and then over the course of the episode, they are awarded points. Most of the points are kind of subjective. <laughs> based on um, what the hosts think, how the hosts think they did. Um, and as the series goes on, the points add up until there's finally a winner. Um, this show is so funny. At the first few episodes we watched, because we kind of stumbled upon it on YouTube, we were a little unsure because it is very British humor sometimes. But <laughs> now that we've watched like five seasons, there's like, I think there's currently 10 seasons, um, maybe 11. Um, we've watched like five or so seasons of this. It's like, we're obsessed. We watch it almost every day. We there we laugh out loud, like belly laugh at least once every episode we watch. It's so funny. It's so silly. They did a season last year in 2020 during COVID. Um, and it's funny because they clearly filmed it like half before COVID, half after COVID, because sure. some of the tasks will be like social distance and some of them won't. So there was one in the latest episode we watched where the, it was a group challenge and they had to each team had to feed each other the most watermelon (laughs) but one of the teams had to do the task after they had started social distancing and so they had them like on these platforms six feet apart with these really long grabby claws and they had to like feed each other watermelon with these grabby pinchy claw things it sounds silly and it is and it's also really funny um so we're really enjoying it you can watch it for free on youtube um that's really all I have. It's very, it's a simple premise, a simple show, but it's really funny. All the comedians are hilarious. Um, and there's enough seasons that you can really get a lot of binging in. Which that is a solid appreciate. recommendation. Free entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> I like recommendations for free entertainment, especially things that are funny and silly. I think we could all use a laugh. So. Agreed. I am super excited that Riverdale comes back next week. Oh, yeah. That's like all I care about right now. We, we gotta take what we can get at the, in these trying times. That's also silly, but in another way. Sure. Um, I feel like maybe I had updates about something else we'd recommended, and now I can't remember, so... It doesn't matter. And you know what? <laughs> very little does. It's true. Very little does. It's very true. But uh, you can follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram. We have several Facebook groups we're pretty big time yeah you should definitely be in our animal crossing one if you want to meet wart jr hell yeah Uh, (laughs) my my prize villager um we have a website perhaps com. if you have a paranormal tale or if you've had a psychic dream perhaps it's your podcast at gmail.com you should write us a five talks review you should slam that subscribe button (laughs) so hard Remember when we talked about phrases we don't like? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Earlier was... in this episode, I think slam that subscribe. <laughs> it's pretty might bad. Be, might be one of mine. It's pretty awful, and I might be saying it every episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
What else do we need give, to play? Do we play the give, Patreon? You can give us some yeah. money on Patreon and get bonus content. We got quite a few episodes out now. Yeah, that's a pretty good deal at this point. If you find a dollar and like some old jeans or something, you should probably give it to us and then get a bunch of bonus episodes. Hell yeah. We're going to be doing the last of the Unsolved Mysteries reboot this month. And then next month, we might do another Paranormal Home Inspectors. But also, John Waters was on Special Victims Unit recently playing a pornographer and i'm pretty sure we have to talk about that too i think it would be funny for us to do an S- a modern svu episode considering neither of us have watched that show no. we'll have no idea what's going on <laughs> we'll be really watch it totally out of context just for some john waters fandom i think that's a great idea so that's yeah. what we'll have probably upcoming on the patreon world if you give us a single dollar it is a good deal it is. We try. We try our darndest. Um, and we need some more five-star reviews. I'm going to oh. stop doing this stupid oh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that's everything. I think we survived yet another episode. Thanks for the support, everybody. Thank you. Keep barking. Bye. Bye.